It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. to Buckeye Talk, another Market Down Monday. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. We are talking Big Ten coaching as we get into the summer, and it's a rare one because most years there's more turnover than this, but we're going into the resumption of Big Ten Media Days, which has been reported now that those will be held in Indianapolis, but we are going to have in-person Big Ten Media Day later this summer, and it's going to be all faces that are very familiar to us at this point. There are 14 teams in the Big Ten. 13 of them kept their coach that they had in 2020. One of them changed, and they went and got one of the most recognizable coaching faces in the Big Ten of the last 20 years. Doug, this, you've been doing this for a while, and you I think I say that a lot. It sounds like I'm like, keep reminding people that you're older. But really, I want to, it, it's a way to segue to your expertise on this subject, which is you've seen a lot of coaches come and go. This is, was kind of a quiet offseason. I don't know if the pandemic played into that, but sort of an, a quiet offseason as far as coaching turnover in the Big Ten. I think the pandemic did play into it some, but I also think we very likely may have been at this place anyway because we had turnover. There's a couple of guys pretty new in their jobs. There's a couple established guys, but I do I, the point you made that this is rare – one coaching change this offseason, that's the fewest coaching changes since 2014 when James Franklin taking over for Bill O'Brien was the only change. Since then, the number of changes each offseason, three, four, three, two, 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 one. And the last time there were no coaching changes in a Big Ten offseason was 2010, which was like preparing for the lead to explode because that was Jim Tressel's last year. That was Joe Paterno and all that unknowingly like looming, getting ready to go. That was Rich Rod holding on by his fingernails. And so 2010, there was no changeover. And then the next two years, seven jobs changed, including Ohio State twice, Penn State, Michigan, Minnesota, Indiana, and Illinois, right? So it was like the calm before the storm, which is always the case because if there's calm, there's always a storm coming because somebody's going to get fired or someone's going to leave for a bigger job, right? So, like, this is a relatively – not even relatively. This is a pretty darn calm Big Ten coaching offseason. 
when even that 2014 year that you're talking about with Franklin replacing Bill O'Brien, that was a guy leaving to go to an NFL job. Like I was a guy who didn't get fired. That was a guy moving on to something better. So it was very tranquil offseason there. Whereas here we had one firing, Levy Smith getting fired at Illinois, Brett Bielema taking over. But Stephen, what he's describing of this sort of stability that we've had in the Big Ten, does it jive with how you kind of look at the Big Ten right now as far as teams should be pretty satisfied with where they are? Not that that's even necessarily reflective, but does that stability line up with what, how you look at the Big Ten right now? No. I, no, I, I think what you have is – that's actually a good way to answer that question with that type of tone to it. I think there's a mixture of guys who have just been there for a while and this is just what they are, like the Iowas of the world. But then I think there is that those new guys who maybe got hired two or three years ago where now it's kind of like it's settled. You've gone through a couple of recruiting classes. You've got a couple of seasons under your belt. And it's almost like the review period is up of like, how good have you actually been? How bad have you actually been? And do we want to still keep going down this direction with this coach, with this guy as our leader? Now, Doug, you mentioned the calm before the storm. There's also a calm after the storm effect sometimes too. And in 2020, you had a couple of programs that were st- certainly kind of had bottomed out a little bit or were downward trending, had made coaching changes. And that also contributes to why there weren't any changes last year, that those teams, those guys were only in like their first or maybe second year with the new program. As a part of exercise, like thinking about this, I, I, I came up with a couple of lists. How many programs right now do you guys feel are performing above expectations in the Big Ten? Above expectations in the Big Ten. I would say one, two, three. I would say three and two maybes. Three three with two who think they're about to start performing above expectation is what I would say. I came up with three solid, definite, above expectations. Now, I'm interested to see if we think of the same three. I said Indiana. Yes. I said Northwestern. Yes. Yes. And I said, this might be the controversial one, Ohio State. No. No. This because, is be. because I almost feel like that means that the only way Ohio State can ever be above exp- – What then does that mean that unless Ohio State wins – multiple like back-to-back national championships it's never above expectations yes if they're only, not, yeah the only way they're above expectations is if they're bama it, yeah literally they win like three in five years i'm not saying that that means they're below expectations but they're at expectations like making I, the playoff winning the big 10 beating your rival this is just how it's supposed to be yeah i i, I guess i i just i, I wanted to it, it was hard for me to say because then if if i tried to imagine if ohio state had only made the playoffs the last two years, had not lost a close game to Clemson, and then had lost again in the semifinals again this year, would we call that below expectations? No. I think mm-hmm. there's a wide range of at expectations. That could which, be true. Which, which range, ranges from, like, everything from a national championship, because a national championship, if it's just like a one-off, can still be at expectations, to, mm-hmm. like – a Big Ten year where you lose twice and you don't make the Big Ten championship game, but it's not, like, disastrous. I think that's still, a, in a way, is at expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one I had was Minnesota, which is more based on a couple years ago. But I think that Minnesota year a couple years ago was so good. It was their best year in 50 years 
when they went, whatever they finished in the top 10 of the country and they thought for a while they might make the Big Ten championship game. I think P.J. Fleck is still riding high off of that. And so I still would have Minnesota above expectation. Those are my three. It gave him the pass for the three and four last year. The fact that it was, he was so good in 2019. So is that the other team you would put there too, yeah. Steven? Mm-hmm. I, I had them in at expectations, but I considered them like on the up, like leaning across the line into above expectations. Like they're, they're, they're right on that cusp. Um, the, the 11 win season does kind of like stand out there on its own, but, I, I understand what you guys are saying, and I, I was I, like torn between which which group I would put them in. And then, as far as like at expectations, I put Iowa, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Is there anybody else that you guys think needs? And then I guess you guys think Ohio State. Anybody else that belongs in that conversation? At Iowa, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Anybody else that is at? So, so it's like I think Maryland and Rutgers were below expectations, which is why they have the coaches they have now. But I think Mike Loxley, Maryland, and Greg Schiano Rutgers are at expectations with both programs thinking they are on their way to above expectations. So that's the two I had there. So, like, I would not put current day Maryland and Rutgers at below expectations because there's a lot of hope, right? I mean, like, Rutgers – played some good games last year they beat who they beat I mean they they played quadruple overtime with Michigan Maryland beat Penn State last year for the first time in forever like yes their record is not great yet but I think they are kind of at expectations with a lot of juice so that's I think that's if that's a separate category that's fine but I would not call them below yeah I put them in too early to tell but a lot of optimism yeah, I, I still put them at below just because of what they've actually accomplished. I understand what you're saying, Doug. I just think there's a difference between the hope that you – the realistic hope you have that you'll be better as opposed to what you're actually doing. They beat Maryland beat Penn State last year. They did. That is a huge deal. And they have That's a quarterback. Fair. They have, like, the best quarterback they've had since, I, since Frank Reich. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't – like, I think – I mean, if we're just going by record, and last year was so jacked up, like the highs last year were pretty darn high for Maryland football. So that's fair. I mean, I, 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 I could see moving yeah, to at for what's in the the high optimum. I mean, the on field play for one, and then I mean, Rutgers has the third best recruiting class in the Big Ten right now with a top one hundred quarterback leading the way, and the Mike Loxley effect has already gone into play at Maryland, getting guys like Raheem Jarrett, and right now they got nine commits in twenty twenty two. If you said the program, right, which goes into everything, win-loss record, recruiting, fan engagement, all that stuff. If you said, is the Rutgers football program below expectations right now? No, I don't think anybody, I don't think Mm. any Rutgers fan would say that, right? Like Kyle Flood, Chris Ash is below expectations because their expectations were set by Greg Schiano, who is now back and already in every way bringing those expectations back. So then that leads us to Illinois, which I think the difference between Illinois and then Maryland and Rutgers is both of those coaches have had a year to show some promise. I think just hiring Brett Bielema gives Illinois some promise, but he hasn't coached a game yet. I think that's – I would still put them in a, a program that's below expectations. I agree. I would, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and I'll wait till we get to Michigan State to say that. And, and, and the, but then, and then, so I think Michigan State is the interesting conversation because they obviously just made a coaching change. It, was a, it wasn't a firing, it was a retirement, however you want to couch that. 
but certainly a guy who had, you know, D'Antonio was on the downside of his career before he moved along. And then so far, not great returns for Mel Tucker, but I think also a, a program that maybe has some optimism right now. I think it's just because of the, because their expectations were set higher than Maryland and Rutgers in the more recent past, it still seems below expectations for them, even if they're at the same level. Totally Can we- agree. I get it. Can we are, we are we allowed to throw that season out for him and just like put him in the same category as Brett Bielema? Yeah, I think that's I think fair. that's kind of okay. what it is. Yeah. Because it's kind of how like, I look at them. It's like, what do you want me to do? I can't go out and recruit and I don't even know if we're gonna have a season. I did the best I could. Yeah, I don't think it's an indictment of Mel Tucker, but they were sliding to below expectations under D'Antonio. Yeah. At the yeah, end of D'Antonio. True. They won double digit games. One, two, three, four, five. Six times in eight years between 2010 and 2017. And the last three years, they're seven and six, seven and six, two and five. So they are below their expectations right now, but it's not Mel Tucker's fault. Right. And, and like, they're going to get better. I think, I think Michigan State people think Mel Tucker's a good hire, but they got a lot of work to do. D'Antonio reached a peak that was, hadn't been seen since Duffy Doherty. No offense to George Perlis. And then, like, he came down off the peak and, like, dug a hole for Mel Tucker to be thrown into before D'Antonio left. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's also tough when you have a lot of work to do and you're in the East. I know the East dipped last year a little bit, but it's a, it's a tougher job. Um, a guy we haven't talked about yet, but Purdue and Jeff Brom, when he got to Purdue, they'd won eight games in three years, nine games in three years. And at the same time that it's much easier to do that turnaround in the first year when you get, you, you got to play a like pre Renaissance Indiana and you got to play a West schedule and, and hopefully get some like favorable uh, East crossovers. And I think it's tougher for Mel Tucker being in the East, but I think it's still doable. It's just a matter of what, what, what levels you're setting. And from a talent, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, like Greg Schiano is like, he knows that New Jersey area. And also he just has that area as a hotbed. Mike Loxley knows the Maryland area. And even if he didn't, he has it as a hotbed. Mel Tucker sharing that Michigan area with Jim Harbaugh, but then also Ohio state's going to go in there and get a couple of guys every year. Indiana's going to go get guys and Penn state's going to get guys. But my, my view of all this Michigan State stuff has nothing to do with Mel Tucker and how good he's. Okay. It's that Michigan State's expectation level, Michigan State was the number one thorn in the side for Ohio State. They're the only team that could hang with Ohio State. They beat them twice in huge games. That's the expectation level for Michigan State. Now, I'm not saying that's reasonable, but, like, the expectations of Michigan State fans are so far above Rutgers and Maryland fans right. that it's, like, it's, it's yeah. ten times higher. So Mel Tucker has a lot more work to do to get – back to meeting expectations. I do think those expectations will slide down and already are already sliding down, but still currently the expectations of Michigan state football fans is pretty far above what Rutgers and Maryland fans think. I mean, forget Michigan state was a playoff team. Like yeah, Michigan state's been to the playoff. Like that's that's something no other big 10 team, but Ohio state can say. And uh, that's significant. And you know, who hasn't been to the playoff, Texas, you know, who hasn't been to the playoff USC, you know who hasn't been to the playoff? Florida. Florida, right. Michigan State yeah. has. Yeah, I think that – and that's an important it's thing real. to remember when you're just talking about setting fan expectations. But I think you're right. Things have – dynamics have shifted a little bit. I think even Ohio State has grown in stature in the short term since then and, and become even more of an obstacle in the East. So I think you're right. I think that the expectations do dwindle down a little bit over time, but a tougher job. So then it just leaves Nebraska and Michigan – as well, I guess I, I, I slipped right past Purdue, but that was still somebody I would consider 
below expectations just because yes. they have dipped after what Jeff Braun did there the first two years. And they peaked with the Ohio State win, and I think people thought, like, here we come, and they've sucked since then. Mm-hmm. Yes. Almost, like, immediately since then. <laughs> like, the next week since then. I mean, that, that win, it wasn't just a big win over Ohio State at that point. That win, that year, if people remember, it was a real kind of screwy year in the West, and it gave that 2018 season, it gave them, like, an outside shot to win the West. Like, there was, like, a four-team race to win the West that Northwestern ended up winning because Northwestern, like, couldn't win a non-conference game but then just won all of its West games or, or whatever that year. Um, and then, But then, like, almost immediately it, it went downhill for them and has not really gotten back on track since. So, below expectations. You can find the, the – I, I th- so somewhere out in the world is, like – because, Stephen, that was – was that the last game you didn't cover? Or was that – because you weren't in West Lafayette, no, right? No, literally Purdue and then the bye week was like the last time I wasn't covering Ohio State. So, yeah. Because I was at Purdue by myself. That was in the mm-hmm. crossover. And there was a video of me like standing on the field in West Lafayette being like, I think Purdue might win the West now. <laughs> <laughs> Called it. And then, uh, then Michigan and Nebraska, these two teams that just historic powers or certainly like, you know, kind of legacy programs. And I don't know how anyone could argue these, both of these programs are not below expectations, even though Michigan's not cratered to the extent that Nebraska has. But I think the optics of, of things that have gone on at Michigan, I think the, the, um, the Listen, lack of – Everybody agrees Michigan's below expectations. Yeah, no both, big wins. The thing is, it's like they're both disappointing in their own way in their own unique way. Like, one's just you were supposed to be, to an extent, the Ohio State of the West, and you have been nowhere near that. You're not even the Penn State of the West. We don't have to spend much time on this because that's not what the podcast is. They're both below expectations yeah. by a fair bit, yes. But Very true. But both below. I, yeah. I, I did want to just make that distinction, that one is just not living up to expectations. The other one is arguably, you know, one of the worst couple Power Five programs in the country right now. if nebraska had the same record as michigan since jim harbaugh got there i think would nebraska be would be at expectations yes yeah i think that's yes. a great way to put it i think that is now there are probably are some old school nebraska fans who would still be upset with that but I, you can't tell me nebraska wouldn't love to be winning eight nine games a year right now nine ten games a year right now they would feel it would feel like a real triumph and a lot of times you'd probably be winning the west You'd be that, that's the key. Ten, the 2018 season, 10 and 3, 8 and 1, you're going to the Big Ten championship game. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Well, I wanted to set that stage for the next thing we're going to do. We're going to come back from the break. We're going to go coach by coach in the Big Ten. Can I, can I ask a question very quickly? Of course. Have we said what we're marking down? Maybe not. This has become let's, traditional Mark It Down Monday. Let's tell the people what it is that we're, all this discussion is going to lead us to Mark Down in the last segment. So Mark It Down Monday is who will be the next coach to leave his team in the Big Ten? The next Big Ten coach to leave his job. You're right. I should have said that up front. Maybe I'll just go back and creatively edit it in yeah. since I'm, I'm the maestro no. of this and creatively no, 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 edit no. this out. It's becoming tradition at this point that we just get into it, and at some point Doug goes, hey, do they know what we're doing yet? No, but we're doing it. <laughs> we're just going to do it. They'll figure it out eventually. We'll see if I, if I take the time to go in and edit this into the front of the podcast and cut this out, or if I just leave this in and let people be bewildered for the first 20 minutes. It's of Memorial the Day. Nobody's listening yeah. to this. Everybody's at a picnic. 
We'll see. No, no, no. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're sitting in their chair for 90 minutes and just intently listening and not doing anything else. Listen, if you are at a family or friend picnic on Memorial Day and you have the wireless speakers and you have them set up on a picnic table and you are listening this, listening to this right now with a group of Buckeye friends or Buckeye family members, and this is coming to your ears like while you're eating hot dog and corn on the cob at a Memorial Day picnic, text or tweet tweet me proof of that. Text or tweet me proof yeah. of that, and I will do something special for you. I don't want to commit too much to it because I, I think people who listen to this would like fake the photos to like make me do the thing that I would say I would do. Mm-hmm. But just turn do it, it for two seconds and then turn just it right do it back honestly. Yeah. Just like be like, they'd be like, hey, it's Thursday. <laughs> like you have, it's Thursday. I'm going to get my friends over to picnic tables because Doug said he'd run around his block naked if you listen to this at a normal Memorial Day picnic. But I will do something as, down. as long as it's not too many people. I want to see if that's happening. And if it is, I hope you're enjoying your Memorial Day. Well, I think now I have to leave all this in. So I'll just, I'll just assume that people read the title of the podcast before they clicked and started listening to it. And therefore, were sort of caught up with us when things got started. But we're going to come back from this break, and we're going to go coach by coach through the Big Ten and talk about, just before we mark it down, the likelihood that these guys could be moving on voluntarily or involuntarily to other things. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. We are marking down who the next Big Ten coach will be to leave his job. And we already sort of broke down which programs we think are above or below expectations, which has an effect both sometimes on whether a coach is leaving, either of his own accord or because he's asked to leave. And I thought that exercise could juxtapose interestingly against this next one, which is I came up with sort of three tiers. Split the coaches into guys who are on the couch. So they're like settled in, right? They're like at home. They're maybe listening to Buckeye talk. They're doing whatever football coaches do when they're just, they're secure at home. They're enjoying life. And then there's guys who are got up and they've, they're grabbing their keys. Like they're, they know something's going to be going soon. Maybe they don't have to be out the door right now, but they're kind of getting things together and getting ready for what's coming next. And then the third tier is backing out of the garage. Now that's either you're rolling out because you need to go somewhere, like you have picked another destination you need to get to, or the house is on fire and you need to vacate the premises. Or you're being told that you're, you're being evicted. And the only thing you have now is to get the car out of there before the sheriff takes that too. Do you think you guys like those three tiers as like how to sort of structure the footing of these guys in the Big Ten? Point of order, mm-hmm. my garage is filled with so much crap. There's no way I could get a car in there. Would you prefer backing down the driveway? It just, just for me, I, I, I'm a little more comfortable I think it's that. interesting that there are, very, there are two different t- types of people in the world. There are people, when you own a house, there are people who use their garages as cars, storages at night and stuff. And then there are people who use their garage to put everything in the, under the sun that can't fit in the house in there and the cars are just still outside yes i, I am I, clearly the second 
and yeah. I don't understand it. Like living in the, a northern climate, half of the year, like put my the car in the garage. Car, like that's the whole thing. That was my when I owned a house in Lafayette. My first time I bought a house. Uh, my favorite room in the house was the garage and I had basically nothing in there, but it meant I could park my car there between November and March and never had to clear the snow off of it. It was beautiful. I've only lived in one apartment in my entire life that didn't have a garage since I've been driving a car and it's because it was a college apartment. They didn't have it. Yeah. But, but, but in your apartments, can you put a bunch of crap in your garage? If you wanted to, or would that the one really I, make well, before sense? I moved back, before I moved out to Columbus, when I was living in the Northeast Ohio, I could because they were actual single uh, unit garages and not necessarily. But it was garage. also di- it was disattached from your apartment. It was it was work to walk out of your apartment and throw crap in your garage. I don't have to work at all to throw crap in my garage. And, and you also don't have uh, Stephen, a wife, and two kids who are also um, helping clutter things up and adding That's to fair. the stuff that goes in the this garage. This is true. I got like six bikes in my garage. I got boogie boards. I got beach umbrellas. Sounds like you I, need to be introduced to the concept of a garage sale. Oh, no, yeah. I, do, I do. I do. I'm going to have a garage sale slash book sale when this thing comes out and we'll do a combo thing. I, so I would, this makes me want to do a nonsense poll for the texters. Do you put your car in your garage or do you have too much crap in your garage? I, do you think it's like two thirds put their car in the garage? One third too much crap? I think it oh, I think literally might be 50-50. Yeah, I think it's closer that, to 50-50. Um, it's, it's I grew a, it's, up in a household that we, we put our cars in the garage, and I'm uh, we, we only have a one-car garage here, but I, I still – it's pretty tight, and it, it, uh, but I still put my car in the garage, or my wife does, because yeah. that's what it's for. The other thing I wanted to bring up was talking about getting your keys. I think I've talked about this. It's just, it's so good. I just want to make sure people are aware of it. You guys have heard the Adam Sandler song, Phone, Wallet, Keys? No, yeah. but I know what that is, how you check your pockets and make sure you have all those things. And it's, it's like the greatest dad song ever. I don't like Adam Sandler at all. I'm a Farley guy and a Will Ferrell guy. I am not a Sandler guy. But Phone, Wallet, Keys, Got My Phone, Wallet, Keys, is such a good song. And it's such a dad experience. I would encourage everyone to go find it on YouTube. And then I wanted him to make a version during the pandemic of got my phone, wallet, mask, keys, phone, wallet, mask, keys. But also nobody was going anywhere. So I just yeah, you wanted didn't need to make the keys. Didn't need phone, the keys. wallet, mask. Right. So just a shout out to phone, wallet, keys. If you've never listened to it, uh, I think you would enjoy it. Okay. What were we talking about? So anyway, so we'll, we'll call the three categories on the couch, grabbing his keys, back and down the driveway to to appease the the pack rats who f- fill their garage with bicycles and unsold books yes um, <laughs> wow into the future thanks for thanks for projecting the unsold books that will be filling my garage 10 feet away from me there's a box of the books that i uh, of the books that i wrote i think i've given away like four or five copies and then there are plenty more left over where that came from that's what i have to look forward to thank you yeah. for, for previewing yeah. that for me well, the, the, good, the thing you have going for you is you didn't write a book about a program that you then immediately stopped covering. So you have no real way. Like, I can't push that book on the Ohio State listeners. You can't. Did you have 10% hesitation taking this job of like, I have a Purdue book coming out. I can't leave right now. No, I didn't. But they had hesitation about it, which is why I was not the one who finished the book. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> they, for the very reason I just said, like, well, how do we market this guy that covers Ohio State writing a Purdue book? So we, I had a 
co-author that came on and, and finished off the project. So let's market it right Sean. now very quickly because we are going to market mine when it's time. Let's market the Nathan Baird book very quickly. Just give yourself, we've talked about it before, but give yourself a little 20 second plug. It's it, people have seen this book before. There's an Ohio State version. It's called hundred things Ohio State or hundred things Purdue fans should know and do before they die. There's an Ohio State version. There's, I think there's a version about every program in the big 10 by now and across the country, basketball, football, this is like all sports encompassing, but it's just, it's a hundred things. So it's like, uh, some is it, some of it is like athletes. Some of it is like games you need to know about. Some of it is about the stadium. Some of it is about like traditions around the campus. So, um, it, it there, like I said, there's one about every, um, every program and uh, it was just time for Purdue to have theirs. So that's what mine's about. It's about everything from John Wooden to the triple X diner to everything in between. For the sake of marketing my book that will be coming out in 2040 that I don't know what the name of it is or what I'm going to talk about, but look for that um, 20 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. It's called, for it's going to be called uh, crustless pizza. <laughs> everything we do that a lot everybody does that right your memoir title so like what yeah. your memoir title will be called <laughs> crustless pizza and recruiting calls the stephen bean story the uh that weasel zach meisel wrote the ohio state version of that oh, okay there you go zach meisel who came when we started when we expanded the ohio state beat here it was we added ari and we added zach meisel we had a great year with zach and then zach left the ohio state beat and went and covered the indians for us and then he left us and now he covers the indians for the athletic and he's like oh yeah i'm writing the ohio state book and i was like you freaking weasel you don't even cover ohio state anymore he horked it right away from me anyways because he's a good writer and he's he's actually an excellent writer and he's written many books after that freaking weasel shout out to zach meisel great guy go read his stuff good luck with your book nathan Oh, thanks. I think the, the luck has probably already expired on that. I think we're, we're into the, once it's like this deep in the catalog, I wonder where it's, I, I should go check and see where it's like ranked on Amazon right now. One billionth. But anyway, we wanted to go coach by coach, getting back on topic, go coach by coach and get an idea of whether they should even be considered as the, one of the guys who could be next to leave the Big Ten. So on the couch, grabbing his keys, backing down the driveway. I'm just going to go alphabetically. We'll, we'll touch on each coach and see which category we think they belong in. Alphabetically by school, we start Illinois, Brett Bielema, who has been on the job for a couple of months. Uh, clearly, I think, on the couch. Doesn't even have a butt crease in the couch yet. But he's, he's breaking it in. Honestly, he's it still bringing the couch in. It, it doesn't take very long for Brett Bielema to put a butt crease in a couch. <laughs> So it's but I there. think he probably can afford a high-quality couch, so I think it balances out. No, but he's, he's the a, kind of guy who wants the kind of couch that's like, I'm not selling that couch. It's got my butt crease in it. It's nice and comfortable. Yeah, but, he broke it in. But your wife buys the couches. Let's be real. Yeah. He, but he had to also, like, he had the Wisconsin-colored couch. Then he had to burn those, and he went to Arkansas. Then he really had to burn the Arkansas-colored couches. So now he had to buy an orange and blue couch. Those are similar colors, though, right? That's true. That's smart. Maybe that was his downfall. He probably tried to get a buy with the Wisconsin couch at Arkansas, and the, the, no. the hog faithful didn't like that. I, I don't think that was the only thing that was his downfall at Arkansas, but it was one of them. I think you're probably right. Anybody arguing he is not on the couch? Couch all the way. Yeah, he's, he's juggling. Indiana's Tom Allen, I think, also on the couch. Now, his name has come up with people like around the country. Like, could he be a guy that gets poached away by somebody? It's just hard for me to envision a – better scenario than he's getting at Indiana right now, which is where they have ponied up a little bit of money to keep him there. And the expectations are still 
realistic. He is still he doesn't have to be doing as well as he is to still be above expectations there. So who came after him? Where was his name connected? I can't remember because it was out there. And it was out there in a way that it was like it felt like, oh, that's his agent getting that out there. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Coach O tanks this year. Tanks. And everybody at LSU was like, we're a little sick of the whole, hey, I'm going to go. You know, can we just get like a normal guy? Is Tom Allen leaving if LSU asks? I think he is. So I'm not putting him on the couch because they are exceeding expectations in a big way. If he wins 10 games at Indiana this year, he might be the head coach at whatever next year, at UCLA next year when Chip Kelly falls off a cliff. I'm like, I just think he's too good. They are too far above expectations. And because his name was out there this offseason, even for a, a minute, I think he's too good to be on the couch. Because I think he like he's watching TV, but he's kind of walking around. He's jangling his keys in his hand. Because he might need to go for a drive real quick. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I still see him as someone who maybe – I'm not sure that a place like LSU would be that interested in him, realistically, though. I think they are going to go – I think they would just want someone who can maybe match up with what other programs of similar stature have been hiring. You th- so you think what? You think Tom Allen would never leave Indiana for another job? Maybe LSU's too high, but you just think like it's not possible? If Indiana wins 10 games, you think he's 100% back at Indiana, no doubt about it? I think next year he would be. I think next year he would be, yeah. And I also think it, matters. I think it matters who those 10 wins are, too. I'm still on the train of like, who is Indiana really beaten? Well, no, but dumb ADs aren't on that train. Dumb ADs are like, oh, a guy won 10 games in Indiana. He's the new head coach at whatever. I think, I think you might be right about dumb ADs. I don't know if that applies to the SEC sophistication. Okay. But I'm just saying, like, if Jimmy Lake bombs at Washington, you don't think Washington would be like, hey, Tom Allen. I'm just saying. That's more, not, that's, that's, that's I, more interesting. That's I'm more not interesting. putting him on the couch. I think he's too good to be on the couch. And I think we are selling him short because he's folksy and they're doing the heck. They're promoting Indiana like crazy. And it seems like, oh, he's a Midwest guy. He'd never leave Indiana. Just wait until somebody – wait until a top 15 job comes for Tom Allen. And Indiana won't be able to do anything about it. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I just think it's too good. I just think he's got to be in the middle category. I understand your reason. Yeah, I think I agree with Doug. And I think that, like, I don't know if LSU is too hot. I think whatever the Tennessee of next summer might be would come after him. That, that type of SC, Ole Miss, uh, uh, Mississippi State, those schools I think would come after him 100% if, he's got, if he goes 10-2 and two this year. Maybe, but I, I look at who those programs are hiring right now, and it's Mike Leach, and it's Lane Kiffin, and it's it's like offensive-minded, just a different vibe than the, the Tom Allen vibe. I don't know if that's – he got the Indiana job in a very interesting way, and they are, they are peaking. So I'll, I, I don't want to maybe – I don't want to sound like I'm shortchanging the job he has done. I actually think he's done a better job than maybe what I give Indiana credit for being, if that makes any sense at all. Um, but I, I think I, I, part of this is probably just still my skepticism of how good Indiana really is. So maybe that's, that's possibly factoring into 
why I think he might be on the couch as opposed to grabbing his keys, just because I think we may have already seen the best of Indiana. We'll see. Virginia Tech is had five years of Justin Fuente. They went five and six last year. If Virginia Tech has a losing record this year, I think Tom Allen's their coach in the year. I mean, and that's a ridiculous thing to say. But, like, if we're playing like, oh, no, that school, I'm just – I'm playing – I think there are bigger programs that would be interested in Tom Allen if they're mm-hmm. good again. And that's so, all. I mean, who's Mike Norvell? Mike Norvell went from the Memphis job to Florida State. Justin Fuente went from the Memphis job to Virginia Tech. Yeah. Who are these people? They're nobody. My, Tom Allen's as good as them. And every time – and it is an offensive – offense, 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 offense. And then every now and then you get a D, you know, AD who wants to zag – and it's like, you well, know. okay, everybody in our conference hiring offense. Like, what's the difference between Tom Allen and Luke Fickle right now? Tom Allen's older, but they're defensive-minded guys who I think relate to players, have a little juice, right? I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you're, if you're a program that comes after Luke Fickle and Luke Fickle says no, Tom Allen might be next for you. That's just why I'm not – we're just playing categories. I think categories. that's the difference is that I think he would still be the second choice for most people. And second choices get – Good times all the time. Yeah. That's yeah. all. That's all. Fair way to say it. Fair way to say West it. Virginia. West Virginia. I don't even know who the coach at West Virginia is right now. Because Dana Holgerson left. Who's the coach? I can't Stetson even remember. Barnett. What a rise. What a wonderful opportunity for me to go take over the Mountaineers. Uh, Neil that's, Brown. Neil Brown. He was at UAB, right? Now, where, where was Neil Brown? He was at Troy. He was at Troy. I mean, I'm he just went, saying. Oh, yeah. He was, that Troy, he went 10 and 3, 11 and 2, and 10 and 3. I'm just saying. Like, I don't, I'm dumb. I don't really know much I, about Neil Brown. I, I know I'm what you're Allen saying. I, I know what you're saying. I think the, the place that I can't get around in my head about how good Indiana really is is part of this. I also think, yeah, then, then if he does have that kind of success at Indiana next year, is West Virginia a better job than Indiana? Yeah, because they pay him more money and they care more about football. Maybe. So anyway, we'll so we I guess we have to agree, Nathan. Do we have to vote to end up with the right? No, category? I think this is sort of setting the stage. But uh, it sounds like you guys would both vote to put him in, grabbing his keys. He's yes. holding on to his keys and looking out the window to see what's going on in other houses for sure. Yeah, he might still be on the couch, but his keys are in his hand. It's like you know, you know, it's like when you're ready to go, but your significant other is not ready to leave the house yet, so you're just sitting there watching something random on TV, waiting for her to get dressed. That's Tom Allen. See, Doug, that's like the most dangerous possible – not as dangerous as actually driving the car, I suppose, but like you fall asleep, you put, you put your keys in your pocket, you fall asleep, roll over on them. Sounds like you're talking from experience. I, no, but that is dangerous. The, the, the key advancement among the great advancements in technology in the past 10 years is the what? key that will flip down into yes. the key holder. Oh, I, I have, have one, a fob. I don't even have a key. You don't have a key? No, it's but, not a fob. I mean, that's somebody who had a bad experience with the key poking something it shouldn't poke yeah. and who went right to the laboratory and said, yeah. I'm going to fix that. There's I've literally be never way. had that happen to me. I've never had that happen to me before. <laughs> See, the, <laughs> the young generation doesn't know anything <laughs> oh, about keys poking where they shouldn't poke. Walking uphill to school 14 miles a day. Yeah. Uh, next up alphabetically, Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. This was my first backing down the driveway. I think he's back in the Winnebago down the driveway and getting ready to – he's probably already bought vacation property somewhere. Is he backing down it by himself, or is Iowa encouraging him to back down it? Um, I think you might be – my inclination is that him. it should be getting close to just like a mutual 
partying. He's, 60, yeah. he's 65. We've seen plenty of coaches coach past 65. 65 is not that old for a coach. So I don't disagree. I would put him in the middle category, but I would – I mean, I think you're on the right track here, Nathan. I and think I, he's in the car and they're not stopping him. They're like, if he leaves, they're going to just be like, they're going to be fine with it. But let me ask you this. If you had to guess right now, will Kirk Ferentz be Iowa's coach next year? Yes or no? What would well, you yeah, say? And, and that's that's maybe an interesting distinction. And if that's how we're going to – I think it's very likely he is their coach next year. And actually, I would have been – I felt stronger about the backing down the driveway a year ago at this time when things were really going sideways on them. And then what did they do? They actually came back and had a pretty strong year. And I felt like redeemed themselves a little bit as a program and him as, as a coach and the staff. So it makes me wonder if like maybe they're sitting in the car and it's running, but they haven't backed up yet. It's yeah. That's a good way to, it, it's the, you're heating the car up. It's, it's, it's seven degrees outside. You've got to heat your car up. That's <laughs> he went out and is. turned the car on and then went back inside. <laughs> yeah. Because I, 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 I'm confident he'll be there next year. I think two, he's got two or three years left, though. It's just like if it's like a mutual parting time to go, we think we can do better, right? I do think that's a little different. Nick Saban's 69, and I'm not comparing them in any way except age, but it's like 65 for a football yeah. coach. If he doesn't want to go, that's, that's not like, oh, he's got two years left. It's like he's got seven years left. Like, guys? That's true. You know, but it comes so, down to do you? I mean, you're 65. Do you want to be 65 doing everything that comes with being a college football coach to go nine and four? Yeah, he versus, does. I mean, a million guys do. Yeah, what else yeah. is he going to do? I think last year probably bought him. It, it, it increased the chances that he's going to get to go out on his terms. Like I also think that, that a little bit that everybody from the outside, and I've done this a million times. Everybody from the outside is always ready to get rid of Kirk Ferentz, and I think everybody is in Iowa is like, "What are you talking about?" Fair. Yeah. We're good. He's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and this is also – that it was also a place that's had, like, two football coaches since, like, Jesus. Like, they've just yeah. – <laughs> they just don't fire their football coaches. They have – these guys stay there forever. So, that also is part of the factor here that um, – I, I think I like that analogy, though. Like, he went out – last year at this time, he went out and turned the car on, and it's just been running ever since. But he's back inside sitting on the couch because he forgot. That's I not think an old joke. He hasn't had a losing season since 2012. Yeah. So, like, I just think he's so established there. I think he's, like, back-to-back -back losing seasons. To, it would be required for them to encourage him. Yeah. And he hasn't even had one yet. He was 4-8 and eight in 2012 since then. 8-5, and 7-6, and 12-2, and 8-5, and 8-5, and 9-4, and 10-3, and 6-2. And so, mm -hmm. I just think they're very – pleased yeah and and if he had one terrible year i think everybody would be like it's a blip and he'd have to have the yeah. second terrible year for iowa to be like i think it might be time so i think i'm gonna revise mine i would probably put him grabbing his keys then i agree with that St the stage of his career where you got to be cognizant of of what is going to come next but um I, like i said i think last year probably bought him a little bit of time to put more potentially go out on his own. If you had had just all that turmoil and then like a, a collapse from a record standpoint, things might've gotten messy, but the fact that they were able to, to compete as well as they did, I think probably bought him some time. No, and I was not taking the turmoil into account. He was on a knife edge. That's a very good point by you that with all the stuff that happened, it might feel like, you know what, the best way to solve this is a mutual parting, mm -hmm. but I think he's past it. I think he did get past it with the record, which is a good point. Maryland's Mike Loxley, another one that I'm saying is on the couch, but really because he just moved in. Like he just got done unloading boxes. He's, he's all sweaty. I think he's probably hanging out. 
I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on him because he's recruiting well, as Steven already said, and he just got there. And you've got to let him see what he can do. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to jump said. ahead to I'm, – I'm skipping one, but Michigan State's Mel Tucker, I think probably same thing. Same. Not quite the same degree he's had because they, like we said before, I don't know if they're – they've got a little bit more of a ways to go before you'd say he's starting to have success, but you're only one year in. He literally just put his couch in the family room yesterday. And they both know, I mean, in, in different ways, but they both took over tough spots. I mean, Maryland had the jerk and stuff, and then Matt Canada was a one-year guy, and then they did Loxley, and, like, he inherited a difficult situation. As we said, D'Antonio, they fell off the cliff a little bit at the end. Tucker inherited a difficult situation. Um, I think they both get five years. They've got to get yeah. a full roster. And so Loxley's in year three and Tucker's in year two. Yeah, Tucker almost moved into a house where, like, the rooms are shaped weird, so you weren't even sure where you were supposed to put the couch at first. So I think you're right, Stephen. I think he's maybe just now finally getting to sit down. Uh, the one that I skipped, we'll probably have a good conversation about this alphabetically, Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. I think he's in the driveway. I think he's in the driveway. Yeah. I think the revamped offense – I think the revamped assistant coaching staff was a, well, let's try this first before mm-hmm. we try the head coach. And, again, I don't know that it's firing – but I think if they have like another terrible year, and again, they're on the hook of like both Penn State and Michigan had terrible years last year that we think are blips. But if they have bad years this year, that's a, that I think counts as like a second bad year. Like I don't think they would get a complete pass for that. So is Jim Harbaugh the coach at Michigan next year? I absolutely think there's a world where he's not. So I think he's in the, in the driveway. I think you just said it, it may not be firing. I think the record's going to decide whether it's a mutual f- parting or it's a, just outright fire, firing. Like, if, if he Michigan, goes nine and three, they might just mutually part anyway because they don't think it can get any better than that. But if he goes seven and five or worse, they just might, it might just be Jim Harbaugh has been fired. I'm going to have to look at their schedule before I could say. And, like, if he messes up the quarterback thing, you know, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. it's JJ and it's Kate, or what are they going to do? Or they, they waited too long to put in the young guy, or they put in the young guy, then they yanked him, and it, it feels like everybody's disgruntled, it's, and I don't know. He almost, to the point of the quarterback, he almost has to treat this the way NFL teams do when they go pick, finally go get to pick their quarterback and get that kid on the field as early as – I mean, Chicago Bears are going to have to do it with Justin Fields because that's their guy, and if I'm going to get fired anyway, I'm going to go out with my guy. Maybe Jim Harbaugh, hey, Jim, maybe you should just do that. Just go out swinging with your guy. Except that we talked to the Michigan beat writer who didn't seem to think that that's how he's thinking. (laughs) I I think the Fields-Matt Nagy comparison is really good. Yeah, go out with your guy. But maybe he won't. (laughs) Let's let's talk a little bit about what it would – we've done this before, I think. But just to recap, what we think a season that would allow Jim Harbaugh to keep his job looks like. Because we all think he's kind of on this fence, right? Um, even with the extension, because it was such a weird extension, too, with like some, some really interesting specif- um, specifics in there. So, Doug, you mentioned earlier in the here about how they, they don't win the big games. And I'm looking over the schedule, and I'm seeing like a handful of games I think probably qualify as that kind of game. They play Washington at home uh, on September 11th, the same day Ohio State plays Oregon at home. They play at Wisconsin this season. They play at home against Northwestern. They play at Penn State. They play at home against Indiana, and they play at home against Ohio State. So you got about half yeah, the Maryland. schedule is is pretty decent games. What was that? And I, I'd even throw at Maryland in there at this point. 
Um, yeah, may, but, but the problem with the Maryland game is, like, I still think you get more um, – you, you take more damage for losing it than you get credit for winning it, at least as I'm Fair. looking at it at the start of the season. You know what I mean? Fair. I feel like in a big game you get both credit for winning and maybe even sometimes you don't get um, crucified for losing it. Fair. So if if Maryland if if Michigan goes nine and three, but they win three of those games, which means they beat Washington, Wisconsin, three of Washington, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Indiana, Penn State, or Ohio State. I don't know. That still sounds like a season that could he could keep his job. No, I agree with that. I, I and especially mm-hmm. if it's like a year where like JJ McCarthy gets some playing time and looks like he's going to be something. Yeah. You know, I don't think, but I think I think nine and three can be spun very different ways, right? That, like, yeah. who, who's their – like, what's their last month? What's their November look like? It's, it's not Indiana, easy. It's, yeah, it's at home against Penn Indiana. State, at Maryland and in Ohio State. So, listen, if they're 8-0 and they lose three of their last four and they don't compete very well against Indiana, Penn State, and Michigan – that's a different kind of nine and three. That's like, hey, it's great. Oh, no, it's the same old thing. That could be a mutual parting of the ways, nine and three. If they have a couple bumps early and then in November they beat Indiana, they beat Penn State, and, like, they hang with Ohio State and their losses are North are Wisconsin, Washington, and Ohio State, but they had some good wins late. Maybe JJ's in by then. He's doing some things. That's like an upswing nine and three. Why would you change that? You know, I just think there's a very – I think it's going to be the mood. And the record – the raw record affects the mood of the fan base and the administration. But it's not the only thing. It's like the vibe of the season. And are, is it on an upswing or a downswing? And we've seen coaches start off hot and then just – if they have a bad end of the year, it confirms all the previous stuff. And there's enough previous stuff with Harbaugh that if they lose three of four in November – and it looks like a mess, and it's like a reminder again of like, well, we can't compete with, compete with Ohio State. We can't win a big game against Penn State. What are we doing? And Matt Campbell's just sitting there. I think mood of the season is going to matter a lot. So, so here's my question then, because their schedule's kind of set up the way Ohio State is, where it's six games in a bye week, and then there's six more games. What needs to be their record? Can he lose his job in the middle of the season? Not actually, but like from a perception standpoint. No. If – from a you don't perception think so? standpoint, that is very different. But I, actually losing his job, no. I'm saying if their, own, their, their first six games are Western Michigan, Washington, uh, Northern Illinois, Rutgers, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, if they're two and four, which I wouldn't be shocked. You wouldn't be shocked if they're two and four, which means they lost to Rutgers and Nebraska? Because they're beating Northern Illinois or, and Western Michigan. Yeah, or they lost one of those MAC games at home or both. Like you wouldn't no, be shocked I, if Michigan's I, two and four. I wouldn't be completely. I, but just given off of what last year was, I won't be shocked if they get out of that and their only two wins are against the MAC teams. I'll be shocked. I'll They're, be shocked yeah, if they, they lose. If they lose. If they lose every Pick Ten game, I, I will be shocked if that happens. I mean, if that happens, it's like Michigan's zero and four in the Big Ten to start the year. They beat Rutgers in triple overtime last year. Okay, I mean, like that's just not where I am with like, Michigan. I will say, Doug, like the scenario you mentioned, like 8-0, but then you go 1-3, and you still have the McCarthy kind of trump card to play on things. I think what's more likely that would really be devastating is like 6-2, and which 6-2 and with that schedule is not like a travesty. If you're 6-2 and and then you go 1-3 and down the stretch and now you have a 7-5 and season, yeah. then I think you're in no man's land and it's time to make a change. No, I mean, that like if to, an 0-4 Big Ten start is like – 
is like last year was not a blip at all. Right. So, I mean, that's just like, that's just like Michigan's the worst program in the East now. And it's like, if Michigan's the worst program in the East, then Jim Harbaugh is going to get fired. But like, I, that's, I I think it's a bridge too far to be thinking that way. From what I know about covering the Michigan football program, it sounds like a pretty miserable experience a lot of the time. And the idea of like a start like that to the season, and you just have that hanging over the rest of the season. Plus on top of that, just like the Michigan uh, experience of having to cover that. Like, it seems like it would be, that would be the worst sports writing job, like in the country, except for the ones that like pay much, much worse, I suppose. But like, as far as like pound for pound, that might be the worst job in the country. It would just be a miserable day-to-day experience. Minnesota's PJ Fleck. At first I thought we might have some disagreement here, but I think we might actually end up coming to the same place. He got. I put him in grabbing his keys. Yeah, I agree with that. He can't yeah. be on the couch. I just don't – I wouldn't have put him on the couch the day he signed his Minnesota contract. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, it's like re- he's, re- he's renting. If he was at his Minnesota news conference and, like, his phone rang and it was the USCAD, he would have left mm-hmm. in the middle, so, which is not a shot at him. He's a, he's a uh, ambitious coach who's done a good job, who's got some sizzle. So I – He may not own a couch. That is to go to, to Stevens to Steve because I think he's closer to backing down the driveway than he is being on the couch. He may just be one of these guys who like, hey, I'm just going to live at the office, and uh, I need a place for my mail to come, my 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 personal mail, my my card from my grandma or whatever. But like, I'm I really don't need the house. I'll sleep standing up, um, no. and and I'll sleep in my chair or on my couch at the office, and then I'll be back at work the next day until the next job comes. I I always I think that's always been the expectation for him at Minnesota was that that was not a terminal job for him. Now, to He's be fair, an apartment that's fully furnished, so he didn't have to worry about any of that. There are only five Big Ten coaches who have been in their job longer than PJ Fleck, so he's been there four years, and I mm-hmm. think I would if he's already exceeded how long I thought he'd be there. So uh, we want to be fair to him, you know. Lots of guys move. He's done a good job. He's at no risk of getting fired, so he's done a good job for him. Congratulations on that. And he didn't win double digit. He didn't have Minnesota's best season in half a century and take the best job he could get that offseason. So, like, that's a credit to him. So, like, I think definitely keys, but I don't think in the driveway because, like, credit to him, I thought he was in the driveway two years ago, and he wasn't. He still might be. He's just waiting for the right time to pull his car away to – it's like if some of it is at this if he's climbing the way that we feel like he wants to climb there is something to taking the right job you can't just take any job and so maybe he is waiting to see what usc does with clay helton even though clay helton seems to be getting it together but you know is what's what's going on in that situation now that usc's you know front offices for a lack of a better term of putting have gotten them their act together uh what's you know, I'm trying to think of some of – you brought up LSU with Tom Allen. Let's see what LSU does with, with Ed Orgeron going forward. Those seem like, you know, quality jobs to take for someone who wants to climb the way he wants to climb. No, I know. But, I mean, like, anybody would take a top-10 job. Like, that's yeah. why I said Tom Allen to LSU. It's like, well, he's not going to turn it down. But, like, I thought maybe P.J. Fleck might be a guy who's like, I'll take whatever next job is slightly better than the job I have. And that's not what he is. I, I misjudged him unfairly. Like, because there are some guys who just want to get in the car immediately. And I'll take a half step and a half step and a half step and a half step. If he's at Minnesota until he gets a top 10 job, that's a pretty good deal for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Because he's not leaving for Oregon State. 
And, right? and top he's, 10 jobs don't come open that often. And so like to be, I mean, if he's waiting for a top 10 job, he might be at Minnesota for 10 years. And the so, other thing to remember is yeah. like you get to a certain level from a compensation standpoint, and that's also kind of puts you in a, a little bit of a box. Like there just aren't that many other jobs out there that can pay you more that are going to be open in any given year. Like I, I know I kind of looked at him the same way, I think Doug too. And then like over time you start to realize that like, well, how many jobs are there in a given year? They're going to pay a football coach X million dollars. Like he's already, you're already getting paid at a certain level. And I, that does factor into it at a point too. That definitely uh, there's somebody else on this list that I think that that applies to, but um, we'll get to them in a second. Next up, Nebraska, Scott Frost. If he's not grabbing his keys, he should. I think I'd say key, I'd say keys, but like, I mean, what are they gonna do? Like, what are they gonna do? I, I what actually is he think gonna do. That's well, he's thing. not leaving. He's not leaving. It's right. a matter if he gets fired. So, like, he wants to be on the couch. I actually think he might be more on the couch than we think he is, because like he's only been there three years. Are they gonna fire their alum who won a fake national title before he came? After four years. Are they going to give him at least six? Like, I just think they want him to succeed. And who do they think they're going to get that's better than Scott Frost? Right? So, like, I actually think he might be somewhat close to the couch, but I would put him in keys. I will say Nebraska's schedule in some ways does them some favors this year. It did not last year, as we they, they were very quick to tell everybody um, uh, with, through a megaphone. But uh, they have a non-conference game against Fordham. They do have to play at Oklahoma. But the conference schedule, they get Northwestern at home. They get Michigan at home. They get uh, Purdue at home. They get Ohio State at home. They get Iowa at home. So some of their tougher games are at home. They, they, get a, um, they play Illinois. I think that game's in Ireland or something. So it, it's not a bad conference schedule for them. It's one where they could maybe help them start to take a turn in the right direction. So – They've got a four-star quarterback who's obviously not going to start this year from the 2020 class who will be in his third year in 2022, um, which is just like a reset at quarterback after having Adrian Martinez for three years, but also like having some other guys step in and start some other games. I think you're right. It's that give them another. I think sometimes with coaches, it can just be give them a new quarterback and let's see what happens when you get to fest to restart right in there. He was a four-star in the 2020 class, 313, which is pretty decent for what Nebraska recruits. Um, the number 14 dual threat quarterback. So I think that is like a good place to start actually having this conversation with him when that guy potentially takes over the job next season. Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. The couchiest couch there ever was. Cause I think he's not. Well, that, 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 like that used to the couch. I mean, the, the other thing is unless the, the bears thing, come calling, which they might like yeah. the bears, like Matt Nagy, Mike, if the bears aren't good this year, Matt Nagy might get fired, but that, that actually even, he doesn't have to move. So he gets – he's still on the couch. Oh, okay. That's upgrade. true. He, well, no, no, no. He can upgrade his furniture. He can get a better couch and, you know. I think he's probably got a pretty nice marble couch. Floor, marble floors and, you know, all that stuff. But, yeah, no. he's. I still think it's worth putting him in the couch category. Yes. I think as yeah. we've had people tell us – Teddy Greenstein told me this on this podcast that the Bears are probably the only job he would leave for. And so, all right, if there's only one job in the world that you would leave for, even if there's a decent chance that job opens in a year – I still think you're on the couch. And then it's like, it's almost like an emergency. I mean, we've all had times when you're on the couch and then it's like, oh my God, I got to leave. I think it's that. But you're still on the couch until the last second. Yeah, I feel like his choice right now is either between like 
maybe someday being able to get like this job that was like such a dream to you when you were a kid growing up in the Chicago suburbs that it's like almost unbelievable that you ever considered for it, or they're going to build a statue to you someday outside of um, that stadium in, in Evanston. Like those are the, that's the two ends of this, of the Pat Fitzgerald yeah. story, I feel. And yep. so, yeah, he, absolutely. He's on the couch. Ryan Day from Ohio State. Couch. He's in bed. He's in bed. Sleeping. <laughs> I mean, I think there'll be a time when he'd look at his keys, right? We've talked about that a million times. There'll be a time mm-hmm. when he'll look at his keys and if there's an NFL keychain on it, but he's on the couch. I don't even know. He I doesn't I even think, have a car. I, I don't think he needs the keys. I think Robert Kraft is just going to land a helicopter in his backyard, mm-hmm. wherever Ryan lives and, and swoop away with him. Um, but I think you're right. I think I mean, everything he has said, we, we have to try to like, parse this a little bit when they say these things but when he talks about like what's important to him and his family it's not that he wouldn't take an NFL job but I think we've seen that he won't just take even any NFL job there aren't even there aren't that many college coaches out there who if the NFL comes calling for them they would say "Eh, I don't know or just outright refuse it and I think he's one partially because of what Ohio State is and and still can be on the trajectory that they're on, but also partially because of just his age, his, his family situation and and what's important to him. I think the Patriots and Ryan day have become what the Cowboys and Lincoln Riley are, where it's like this thing where whether it ever happens or not every summer, at some point, someone's going to bring up the two together. And I think Lincoln Riley to Cowboys is a little more likely to happen right now than Ryan day to, to new England Patriots. But neither of them are in a hurry. But That's right, the, I mean, it's just they're right. They don't have to take the next time their dream opening comes available yeah. because it'll probably come open again later. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's got the, the, both those guys have like what twenty five years before their Kirk Ferentz's age. Yep, more yeah. than twenty years before their Kirk Ferentz's age. And as you're saying, Kirk Ferentz could still coach for another several years. I mean, these, these guys are really, really, really in the infancy of potentially very long careers. Penn State's James Franklin. He's Bordering on driveway. Like he grabbed his keys and he's also got like, um, what's it called? Remote start. Yeah. He, he, I think, I think he's grabbed his keys and gone out to the driveway before and then decided not to go and came back in the house, but he might leave again in 15 minutes. And that's, I just think it's more mutual. They've been really good. I think there's enough reporting that like, there are times that we would, I think it's fair to take it that, He's felt underappreciated at times. He's not in a hurry to get out there. But if another big time job, big time job was interested in him, I think he might he might go. And they had a weird year last year. So like I, I think he's between keys and driveway. I think had they been eight and one this year, he might not be back this year. I think he might have taken a job this year. Yeah, you, you kind of really – he's another one of those guys, though, that, like, what jobs are better than Penn State and which ones come open in any given year? I don't think he can go – would go just anywhere. But I think you're right, D- Doug. You mentioned earlier in with Tom Allen about how it felt like maybe, like, some of the rumblings out there on him were, like, could that have been agent-driven? And then he gets a big extension, like a more, a more lucrative contract from Indiana. With James Franklin, though, it seemed like it was just always, like, somebody like his name just keeps coming up and you do wonder then when there's that much smoke in that many different places, then somebody's lighting fires in, in a legitimate way. 
So where would we put him? If we had to pick a category, would we pick keys or driveway? I would still pick keys. I think you said it the right way that he is maybe walked out to the car and then like, Oh, I forgot something and had to go back inside. And that thing you forgot was um, how to win games last year. If he and Tom Allen are both in keys, I think James Franklin is closer to the door than Tom Allen is. Which is why I put, I put him in the car and put Tom Allen in the house with his keys in his hand. And that's maybe, I think how I kind of looked at it, like why I was still putting Tom Allen more on the couch than grabbing his keys. Yeah. I think there's a mm-hmm. difference between Tom Allen and James Franklin, for sure, even yeah. if I would put them in the same category. Produce Jeff Brom. Driveway. Yeah. 100% driveway. Without for question. Me. He, after his first year at Purdue, Tennessee came calling. Purdue gave him a contract extension. After his second year at Purdue, which included the Ohio State win, uh, Louisville came calling, which was like his dream job, or at least his family's dream job. He turned that down to sign another extension at Purdue. And then they've been bad since then. They've lost a lot of games these last two years. So I think – I don't think Purdue fires him if they have another bad year. I think he has meant too much to that program. And even though that would be after five years, last year was screwy enough. The injuries have been a thing their last couple of years. But he's still someone that I think is closer – he's closer to what you thought P.J. Fleck was. And to me, like, I feel like his camp, like, I, I just feel like he will jump at the next really good opportunity. His opportunities are also going to dwindle, though, if he keeps sucking. That's true. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. But he may also at some point start to wonder. He's Because before when I was saying about, like, okay, well, is West Virginia better than Indiana or whatever if Indiana is really good this year? I think the jobs that he would potentially jump to, he's the kind of guy who would maybe potentially go to – a, a similarly lucrative job, maybe somebody who is trying to overpay to get him, that sort of thing. I wonder, he's never coached in the NFL. He obviously played in the NFL. Right. Long like if now. he, if he left to be the offensive coordinator for an NFL team, I don't know that that would shock me. That's just a, from an outsider's mm-hmm. opinion of like, he has not recruited right. Purdue's not killing it in recruiting. Um, and it's like, uh, well, I mean, Yes and no. Uh, their, their base is obviously pretty soft. At the same time, Rondell Moore, George, George Karloftis, David Bell, like they've landed some like major talents that not every other like Big Ten program of that level would can say that they've done. So is it fair to say as a collective it's not very good, but they get enough like pieces that like kind of stand it's, out to you? Because they have right. the worst and recruiting class in the Big Ten in 2021. It's just a weird tenure, really, for him. Because those first two years, like, you can't not say that he didn't do something real at Purdue. Like, to not take away the Ohio State win almost, but just, like, getting the bowl games back-to-back after nine wins in four years and being, like, in that, that very lowest tier of college football and being sort of an afterthought, that meant something. And then, then they start getting guys like Rondell Moore and George Karloftis and David Bell. But then you don't maximize – the Rondell Moore window. Now, there, he was injured a lot, so that factored into that. But they've really been nothing special for back-to-back years. And so I think this is a kind of a big year for them to kind of get some momentum going back in the right direction. Or maybe it does get to a point some, at some point where they say, well, we're paying you all this money for what? If Jeff Brom is ambitious, I think if they're not good this year, he's going to realize he's killing his career by staying at Purdue. And he better jump for something different while anybody else still wants him. And by the mm-hmm. way, I'm not, I'm not saying that George Karloftis wasn't a big recruit because he was the 59 overall player in the country. According to 247 Sports, he's from West Lafayette. 
Yes. So I'm not giving Brom too much credit. For That's that. true. David Bell, which is, is exactly what Indianapolis. Which is, right, which is exactly why they also got his little brother, Yanni. Correct. In the 2021 class. Correct. So, but but I, I I can just tell you from experience, there was a time when even the best players in Indiana weren't coming to Purdue, and it wasn't yeah. that long ago, and it was a mm-hmm. reason why they were so atrocious. Um, so I think you're right. I think I, I, I think you've said it right. Well, I don't know if he could take an an offensive coordinator job. I think the pay cut there would be huge, but I could see him going to like some like second level SEC program, which I guess would still be a step up from Purdue, right? Yeah, Purdue's not second level Big Ten right now. Like, like mm-hmm. if Vanderbilt fired its coach, Vanderbilt just yeah, did, just which just did, right. which just did. Yeah, that's that's not a bad, that's not a good example. I don't know Georgia Tech if they made it, you know that, and they're not SEC, but you know what I'm saying, like. That kind of next step down in the South, I could I could see a program like that. But he's getting very close to the point. I mean, he might be there right now. Where he's lost the shine a little bit. Well, it's like if you're trying mm-hmm. to sell your new head coach, I mean, Vanderbilt's different. But like, like oh, again, Arkansas. Mississippi, Mississippi State, Arkansas. And you're trying to be like, hey, we got Jeff Brom. Would people be like, whoa, we got Jeff Brom? Or they'd be like, Jeff Brom? Really? Like, it what What's good After about 2018, 2018, that would have been an amazing sale because it's like, look, he just beat Ohio State. They went six and seven and got to the Music City Bowl. Even if they lost that bowl game, that would have been an amazing sell after that year. Yeah, I think uh, in, in fantasy uh, sports, there's such a thing as going after the post-hype sleepers, the guys that people were like really high on a couple years ago, and then they sort of tailed off and people forgot they were supposed to be mm-hmm. good, and then you get them for like a discount price right when they're about to really take off. He's kind of like a post-sleep hyper. Like yeah. he's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he would have to like the the time when people were like uh, he was an up and comer has passed, and now you have to like really kind of oversell him. Um, but maybe they bounce back this year because Karloftis is good, Bell's good. Maybe they have a, a good year this year. They'll have like a couple of quarterbacks um, who have both played, but nobody knows if they're any good. We'll see if if Purdue does something. They are on Ohio State schedule. They are coming to Columbus this year. Rutgers is Greg Schiano. On the couch. He built the, on couch. the couch. Yeah, that's his house. He owns that neighborhood. It's it's not just a couch. It's like a it's like a throne. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's it's it's, it's something no beyond just a couch. Couch. They, it actually isn't a couch there. There are just the administrators from Rutgers University on their knees with their <laughs> arms extended. It's and like, Greg Shadow is laying on is them. It? It's so his furniture that when he left, they didn't let anybody else sit in the chair the entire time he was gone because that's Greg's chair. Well, then when they were trying to get him, right, there was like they were going to get him, and then there was like a day where it was dead, and he was like, you call this a couch? Yep. And they were like, what do you want? We will do human sacrifices and (laughs) skin people alive and build a couch. for. What do you want for a couch? So, yeah, he's not going anywhere. They're locking think, him in the house and taking away his keys so he can never I, leave again. I think he ends his career there. I mean, I, yeah. I, I just don't know. The Tennessee thing didn't work out. Like, it's not going to be in the NFL. I think he, like, went out and took his shot. But I really think he might be the coach at Rutgers for, like, the next – he's 54. He might be the coach at Rutgers for the next 20 years, for real. Well, and the other thing is, like, let's say they have a year where they get all the way down to, like, 2-10 and 10 again. What are people going to clamor for, like – well, we need to turn the program around. We have to go hire Greg Schiano because he's the only one who can do it. That's but that's who they already have. So I, I think there's like some job security there. Like he's sort of proven like maybe he's the only one who can win at Rutgers in the modern 
era. I mean, okay, I'm sure if you if you put Nick Saban at Rutgers, he'd figure out a way to win. But I'm just saying, realistically, the people that they could hire, he might be the guy. Not to make this a, a Maryland podcast, but is that what Mike Loxley's future is? It's just like you're Maryland's coach. It's maybe you shouldn't go out there and kind of climb the mountain a little bit and see what else you can get after this job. Just kind of this is your comfort zone. You can have success here. No, Not going anywhere. No, okay. I think he he's very upwardly mobile if he wants to be. If and he also works. and he also could get fired. Yeah, I mean, there's no comparison between Mike Loxley and Greg Schiano. And, and my yeah, and 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 I think you're right. I think both both things are more likely with him than they are with Shano. And wrapping things up, what Wisconsin's Paul Christ? Couch. No reason to talk about it. Yep, I agree. So we will come back from the break and we will pick, mark it down. I should say, who will be the next Big Ten coach to move on? You're listening to the Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. We are marking down who the next Big Ten coach to leave will be. And we only put two guys in the back and down the driveway category. That does not mean we have to pick one of those two guys, I guess, when we mark it down as to who is the next to leave. So let's start there. Did somebody did, – did either of you pick Har, uh, Harbaugh or Brom as your next to leave? Yes. Mm-hmm. You both did. Apparently, so I I had I had my idea in my head before we started, but I was open to changing my mind. But I did not change my mind. I had three people that when we first said we were going to do this, that I wrote on a piece of paper, and then I basically went through the options of like convincing myself which one should be number one. Okay, Stephen, who were those three people, and what did you finally decide? James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh, and Jeff Brom. The three, the Triple J's. And for different reasons, I think Jeff Brom just has to get out of there at this point. It's just, I think before the shine wears off and and then he's really like searching, going into the crevices to look for another job, I think he just needs to get out of there. I think James Franklin has just kind of hit his ceiling there at Penn State. I don't know if there's going to be more that he could do. Having a bad year, combining that with the recruiting effort they put together in 2021, it just doesn't seem like it can go any higher and he can do any better at Penn State. And at some point, he's got to move forward in his career. But then I think with Jim Harbaugh, I just think this is like the last straw. And I don't think this is going to work. And they're going to move on from each other because they see this isn't going to work. And I, because I wanted to be safe about it, I put my money, my fake money, my market down Monday money on James Franklin. You picked James Franklin in the end? That's your choice? Yeah. Oh, so then when I asked if, we picked if you picked Harbaugh or Brom, and you said yes. That was oh no 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 sorry sorry yeah I was stuck in my three people so sorry no I did not pick between Jim Harbaugh and Jeff Brom at James Frank. And you think he leaves on his own accord for another job? Yeah. So again, the point of this nine of the last eleven years, there's been more than one coaching change in the Big Ten in the off season. Mm-hmm. So like we're probably talking about more than one. So like on on one hand, I think people can hear us talk and be like, "What? Why do you think this is how it works?" Like, this is, again, since 2010, the number of coaching changes in the offseason, 4-3-2-1-3-4-3-2-2-2-1. So it's probably going to be two or three. But if we're having to pick one, that's what we're doing. So the, the one that I picked was Jeff Brom. And 
in some ways you would look at that, that 2018 experience where he ends up staying at Purdue instead of going to Louisville, which is where he played. He's from Louisville. It was this, it seemed like just the one place that Purdue fans, after he started having success, they were terrified he was going to leave. The problem was Louisville was also either was or is a dumpster fire. Like just the whole athletic program at that moment in time was a disaster. And at that time, when you're Jeff Brom and you know you've got two more years of Rondell Moore, I think it made perfect sense to take the paycheck from Purdue and stick around. But I think it's also demonstrated that Purdue was never going to be the last place he coached. And I think you're right, Doug. I think we're getting to a juncture where, I don't, again, I don't think Purdue runs him off. So maybe that makes him a tough guy to pick for this because the other guy that I was picking between with Harbaugh, I think he could leave for another job on his own accord or he could get fired. I don't see Purdue firing Jeff Brom, but it has always just felt like him, his camp around him, whatever, was always looking for that next opportunity. And as long as Purdue was going to pay him and he had Rondell Moore, I think that there was reason to believe that 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 opportunity could be at Purdue, a pretty good one. But now Moore's gone and you're going into the third year of Karloftis the third year of David Bell, and their recruiting has not really stayed at that level. So as those guys cycle out, I think you're right. I sort of see kind of the the end on the horizon for him. Yeah, Brom's my pick too. I actually think, I mean, like if they have a really bad year and they have like two of the best 10 players in the Big Ten and then like the rest of the roster stinks, right? I mean, I don't. So like, I do just think like that people could have a little optimism and I think they could go three and nine. And like, if they go three and nine, maybe like I just could see period being like, you know what? Yeah. This guy always acts like he's about to leave. Fine. Like we're going to make the decision for you. You're gone. So like if produced terrible, I think he could leave. If produced mediocre, I think he could leave. If produced good, I think he could leave. So I just think it's kind of at the end of the run. And most of the time with this stuff, I think with coaches and in life, there's like that time when everybody thought you were going to leave. And it's like, no, 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 no. I like it here. I'm going to be loyal to this place. And then you stay and it's like, oh, what was I being loyal to? And then the next time it happens, you leave. So he had his time to be loyal and he stuck around to stink. So he's going to go. And I just think like, I think he might be at the point of like, I literally will leave for anything. And there's going to be a similar tier job that I could get there's going to be like, like Dana Holkerson at West Virginia left for Houston. Right. And I think people are like, well, what? That's a power five to a non-power five. There's better recruiting in Houston, whatever. I think Dana, I don't know anything about that. I, I assume Dana Holkerson just wanted to leave and he was going to leave. He was definitely going to leave and he was just going to leave for the best job he could get. And that was the best one. I, that's what I could see Jeff Brom doing, whatever it is. Cause he could spin. If he left to be the quarterback's coach, no play calling for the Seattle Seahawks, right? You go and you're just the quarterback's coach for Russell Wilson for two years, and then you rebuild, and then you're a hot college football coaching candidate again, right? I mean, I just think there's ways you can do something that staying at Purdue seriously might be the worst thing he could do for his career, unless they win 10 games this year. Yeah, the, the, the NFL assistant thing would still involve leaving a lot of money on the table. I, I know, but you're but it's not about money because he's 50. He's made money. He's getting money right now. Ryan Day was a quarterback's coach. Ryan Day wasn't calling plays in the NFL. 
Then he came back to college. He got a coordinator job, and then he became a head coach two years later. Like, if Jeff Brom looks at that and is like, why am I spinning my wheels here? Let me go be a quarterback's coach for two years, and then I'll come back and work my way back up. He might have to reset. I just I understand what you're saying, Nathan. It is a huge pay cut. I'm telling man, his career is going in the toilet if he stays at Purdue. No offense to Purdue. Nathan, you had a book that was coming out. He'll give you 40 copies of it. It wasn't the right time for you to leave, but you left anyway because you knew if you stayed at your Purdue at Purdue, your career was in the toilet. No offense to Purdue. I'm just kidding. The what your job was a good, a great job, and we're lucky to have you. You were in a better spot than Jeff Brown, though, because you never sucked at your job as bad as Purdue has sucked at football the last couple of years. Uh, that's that's arguable. Mine, mine is less of a zero-sum game. <laughs> Ours is less of a zero-sum game. I will say, um, I'll put it. Let's do a market down within a market down. If Indiana wins 10 games this year and Purdue wins six and Virginia Tech has that coaching change you were talking about, Jeff Brom gets that job. Jeff Brom gets Ooh. it ahead of Tom Allen. Yes. Uh, I think he gets the job. I don't think he's the first person they call. I didn't say that. Okay, cool. Then yes, uh, but I don't know that Tom Allen job. would be either. I don't know that Tom Allen would be either. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that could be right, but I also think either of them could leave. But yeah, I think. I think there is a difference. I think it's what we're talking about. It's like I don't think Tom Allen is looking to leave, but I think he certainly would leave for the right job. I think James Franklin and Jeff Brom are maybe more looking to leave, mm-hmm. right? Brom more than Franklin. And I just think that certainly affects everything. I want to close with uh, reach back to Ohio State just for a second uh, as we finish this up. And just how should Ohio State fans feel about whether Ryan Day could leave? You understand should, what I'm asking? Like, is it, should they be terrified? No. Mm-hmm. They should not be worried not, about it. Not about, the, not about the possibility he could leave, but just about like – because I think it, it, it's one of those things where if nobody else wants your coach, that's not a place you want to be either. Right, but the, but the difference is most times at Ohio State, the head coach at Ohio State has already had his dream job. Right? Yeah. It was Woody's Very dream true. job. It oh, is it the Woody. dream job, right. Earl Bruce wasn't going to leave. Coop was different, but then Coop couldn't win the big game. I mean, Coop talked to other people along the way, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Jim Trestle was, wasn't going to leave. So, and then Urban, you know, I mean, like we knew what the deal was with Urban. So I would have thought that people might have walked around being terrified. What are we going to do with Urban Meyer leaves? As much as we say all the time, Ohio State's indestructible, but every great program is one bad coaching hire away from falling off a cliff. They should not give it a second thought. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you, we'll tell you when it's time to get worried about Ryan Day. I don't think it's for like at least five or six or eight years. So like, why worry about it? He just, just started building this. I mean, one of the best programs in the country. Like, let it build. It's going to build a little bit before he thinks about going anywhere. And he's in his early 40s. He can be the Patriots coach when he's 54. I just, it's just not worth thinking about. And the other thing is, like, I think the urban transition really showed it. People had no idea who Ryan Day was before he got here. And then he Mm -hmm. became indispensable and then he became the next head coach. And now people would argue they're better with Ryan Day than they were with Urban. So, like, if you did it then, you can probably do it again. Like, if Urban Meyer's not indispensable, then neither is Ryan Day. Because, like, if he leaves, they'll just get Matt Campbell. It's not a guarantee, and I'm not as dismissive of head coaches at all as I am compared to assistant coaches, but it's not a thing that should occupy the thoughts of Ohio State fans for even one second a day. Because there are enough programs where you should be worried about that. This is not one of them. 
I think if you had to make a bet right now, name a college football coach that you would bet your now we just do another podcast name a college football coach that you would bet your life is the head coach at his school in five years i think ryan day might be number one because saban's old and if saban leaves Dabo might go to alabama and who else is there like that's that's where they are yeah you don't think lincoln's more likely to leave for the cowboys than ryan day is i would make him number two or maybe one a one b Okay, but I'm just saying, like, that's what you're – so then you can just walk around everything. Well, what if this? What if that? I mean, but that's, not, that's how entrenched your coach is, Ohio State fans. Yeah, I, I, I think I hear what you're saying. I think even if you were to say – if you were to tell Ohio State fans that Ryan Day is definitely leaving to coach the Patriots after he turns whatever his age 47 season – even then I don't think they should have that much trepidation and fear about it because I think they're set up to have a pretty great run until that happens. Actually, I'd put Shiano one day too. I, I was going to say, actually, <laughs> you, after what you said before, uh, yeah, if it's only yeah. five years, considering the start at Rutgers, I think Shiano is, is safer. Yeah. But yeah. So it's just not worth worrying about, but right. this is running hold on, on my, hold on, hold on. So that'll wrap up this edition of market down Monday. We've been recording some podcasts ahead of time. Doug, at the time you're listening to this, is on Magic Mountain or something, right? I have my whole schedule. Magic Mountain. That's Shut Columbus, your mouth, man. Come what are on, you doing There's... Magic Mountain. So this is Monday. I am in the Magic Kingdom on Monday because we got to plan out whatever. the whole plan out the whole thing. Um, Magic Kingdom, Space Mountain, very possible. Space Mountain, very possible. Gotcha. Um, but one of the things we did, we actually it was another draft that I think you guys are going to love. I think it was like maybe the funnest one we've done so far. We drafted the untouchables in Ohio state football, untouchable players, untouchable assistant coach, untouchable tradition. We had a draft. You had to pick from categories. We'll explain it all on that episode, but that's the big Wednesday episode. I think you guys are going to like that a lot. And then on Friday, come back for the return, the triumphant return of the rewatchables, the retalkables, I should say. Ohio State against Texas 2005 in a, another classic game. And uh, if you haven't gone back and watched that and want to, I think it's on YouTube, Doug? It's on YouTube. It was the first game I ever covered as an Ohio State beat writer. Oh, historic indeed. But you guys can go listen to that, uh, watch that, I should say, and then follow along on the, the Friday pod when we get into the retalkables again. And we're going to have those sprinkled in throughout the season. You guys listened to the um, Buckeye Fly effect last Friday, retalkable, retalkables this Friday, and we're kind of going to alternate those through the summer. So just kind of part of the series that we do here on Buckeye Talk. Thanks for listening. I'm Nathan Baird for Doug Maurice for Stephen Means. That was Buckeye Talk.